Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome, welcome, welcome to drboycetv.com, the home for intelligent black people. My name is Dr. Boyce Watkins. I hope you guys are having a wonderful day. It is a beautiful Monday morning at the time of this recording, and I'm always excited to talk to my people. And uh, today I wanted to talk a little bit about something that I just saw in um, the in, in Variety magazine about the extraordinary actor uh, Juman Hansu. I hope I said it right. I probably said it wrong. I, 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 you know, I'm doing my best, Juman. You know, I want to pronounce your name properly because I respect you, man. I think you're a great actor. Anyway, uh, Juman Hansu uh, made some comments about not being able to make a dollar, or better yet, let me say it specifically. He says, uh, "I feel tremendously cheated." in terms of pay and workload. He said, I, I'm still struggling to make a dollar in Hollywood. That was really surprising <clears throat> because uh, Jaman Hansu has been around for a while. Um, and uh, I just really kind of found myself very surprised that he would say that. I mean, he's got movies going way back to, I want to say as far back as maybe 2000. And, and uh, actually, his, it looks like his the first movie with him was 1990. When you search for Jaman Hansu movies, you can actually go back uh, 30 years and uh, movies come up. Now, is he in all these movies? I don't know. Let me uh, let me just see. I'm going to look up his IMDb. I'm very surprised that he would say that he was struggling to make a dollar because uh, it seems like as far as Hollywood dreams go, he's achieved the dreams. You know, he was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Uh, you know, he was in, um, uh, you know, of course, he, his most famous role was Amistad. Now, that was a long time ago and Blood Diamond, things like that. But I'm looking at his IMDb page, and I see stuff going back quite a while. Yeah, quite a while. Elephant White, Special Forces, Baggage Claim, The Tempest. Uh, the original, is that the original Black Panther? Like a TV miniseries or something? Dead Weight, Soul Food, uh, Gladiator. Oh, I remember him in Gladiator. Anybody remember him in Gladiator by chance? Anybody remember when... <laughs> <laughs> Jim Ma was in Gladiator and he played Russell Crowe's black best friend. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's literally a movie by Tina Turner or that involved or music video with Tina Turner called I Don't Want to Lose You in 1989. And Jamon is in that video, according to IMDb. So so I was really surprised to hear an actor as known, as respected, as celebrated as Jamon Hansu say that he struggles to make a dollar in Hollywood. I mean, he's had some of the most interesting roles ever. He's played them extremely well. I mean, he's very talented. And I, I said, you know, to my wife, I said, you know, I kind of want to get to the bottom of this because not because I'm curious about a celebrity's economic situation. That's not really it. This is not like a gossip conversation. This is more so a conversation about life. It's a conversation about being black in America. It's a conversation or, or in abroad. It's a conversation about Hollywood and media. It's a conversation about uh, what success really looks like. And uh, now, now, just so you know, in terms of Juman Hansu um, and his net worth, uh, I'm going to Google his net worth here. According to Celebrity Net Worth, he's worth $12 million. Uh, but, you know, you never know what these numbers really mean. You don't know if they're accurate or not. I have no idea. So anyway, so here's where I, I'm going with this. This is why I chose to talk about that this morning. Um, you know, when, when I read Jaman Hansu and I, I read uh, the article in uh, Variety where he talked about um, struggling to make a dollar in Hollywood, here's some of what he said. Uh, he said, I'm still struggling to make a dollar. He said, I've come up in the business with some people who are absolutely well off and have very little of my accolades. 
So he's so he's a little bit feeling a little bit maybe I don't know you might almost call this jealousy. Um, I don't know if you call it that, but he says you know he's seeing people that came up with him that are doing better than him, and they they aren't as talented as him. He says so I feel cheated, tremendously cheated in terms of finances, and in terms of workload as well. So so basically he's maybe he feels like you know he's working twice as hard to get half as much, uh, which many of y'all how many of y'all grew up in a household? Give me a yes if you have. Uh, if you grew up uh, in a household where you were told being black means you got to work twice as hard to get half as much. Anybody else was anybody else raised in the same household that I was? Uh, because I was told that a lot. My grandmother, rest her soul, used to tell me that all the time. And uh, and obviously that's just not true. That's not right. We know that's not right. We know that's not fair. Um, if somebody said he, Dylan said he needs to wear a dress. <laughs> Dylan, you got me laughing, man. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, you know, if he, if he, I mean, yeah, Jamon, just go that Tyler Perry route, man. You'll get a billion off of that. I mean, you know, no disrespect to Tyler Perry, you know, but y'all know good and well. As much as I love Tyler, and and Tyler is, Tyler's cool. Like he's a he's a great guy. Like I I met Tyler. You know, I told you Tyler called my house one time, just out of the blue. It's real weird. Like when when I do when you do what I do, like it's weird. Like every now and then, some celebrity will like. You'll, you'll get a phone call where they'll be like, Kanye wants to talk to you. And I'll be like, Kanye who? <laughs> like, you know, or, or or Tyler Perry's on the phone. Why is Tyler Perry calling me? I'm nobody, nobody, right? So, but anyway, like Tyler is a great guy, but y'all know as well as I do that if it wasn't for that Medea dress, he wouldn't be sitting on a billion. I mean, it's no disrespect. It, and I think Tyler would agree with this. I think even Tyler would get this, right? I think Tyler agrees, you know? And, and I think that what it really also speaks to is that there is a uh, price of integrity. You know, there's a th- there's a black tax on integrity. You know, if you're black and, and you say, you know what, uh, I'm not going to sink to your standards. I- I'm going to maintain my own standards. Uh, I'm going to represent myself and my people in a certain way. There's a price for that, right? You know, because here's the thing about systematic racism. This might surprise you, but systematic racism is a system. Did y'all know that the systematic racism is a system? And the thing about systems is systems do not reward you for bucking the system. Systems reward you if you go along with the system. A system, in, in my mind, when I visualize a system, I visualize it like going down the river. If you're going with the stream, if you're mainstream and you're following the stream and you're going in the direction of the stream, then the stream will propel you. Your boat will go faster. You're going to fly down the road faster. It'll be effortless. Like think about a boat going down a river and it's going in the direction that the river's already flowing. Well, that boat doesn't even need an engine. It doesn't need to have anything under its own. The boat doesn't need to have any power. You follow me? The boat doesn't need to have power. The boat just needs to have a sail. So the wind can just blow it along the way and then the, the water beneath it will just kind of blow it down the river and you'll be going faster than people that actually have engines and real power uh, because because you're going in the direction of the stream. The stream is providing your power. That that is and and, and, but what happens is if somebody doesn't understand that they're going to see your boat just moving. They're going to be like, oh, that's a successful black person. Look at his boat. His boat is flying down the river. Y'all flying. He must have a lot of power. He must have a lot of power. No, he ain't got no power. Most of your black celebrities ain't got no power. They're just the boat that's going down the stream in the direction of the river. 
The river is their power. The river is Hollywood. The river is mainstream America. The river is the Hollywood agenda. The river is uh, MGM and Warner Brothers and Universal Studios. That's the that's the power base. So they don't have no real power. You just think they have power. You don't. You just think they have power. So so imagine the opposite. Imagine if you just say, you know what? I'm not going in the direction of this river. I'm not trying to be mainstream. I'm not trying to follow the stream. I'm not trying to go along with the flow. I'm going to go in the opposite direction. <laughs> well, that's when you got to have power to do that. You got to be a powerful person to fight against a heavy, heavy river flow that's pushing you in a certain direction. If the river's pushing you south and you're trying to go north, you can't do that without real power. So when I look at powerful people in our community, well, the people that I consider to be leaders and success stories, I'm not looking at the people who are just floating along with the river. You know, I, I'm not looking at somebody like poor Tyler Perry who just put on a dress and went along with the agenda. I look at people that have been fighting the agenda and going in the opposite direction and still acquiring power. I look at people like Louis Farrakhan. Uh, I, he, he, mainstream America never has never given him any power. Uh, I look at people like Dr. Claude Anderson. You know, he's been fighting against the system for 50, 60 years. Um, you know, I look at people uh, that that are out here um, getting it done despite the fact that they're not going along with the flow. So so why does this matter? Well, you know, I, I keep bringing up to you guys this book that I have the students in the Black Business School read called How the Jews Invented Hollywood. It's not anti-Semitic. You know, I told Kanye West directly. I said, man, I'm not into all this thing you have against Jewish people. I don't know where it's coming from. I get it. I understand the whole conversation about the original Jews and all that. And I think that's an important conversation, but I just really don't know if it's worth giving up a quarter of a billion dollars a year. I wouldn't give up. I wouldn't give up a quarter billion dollars a year just so I could complain about Jewish people. If I, if, I mean, if I, if I really felt compelled to do it, I would just complain at home and collect my quarter billion and go build me some black schools and businesses across this country. So, 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 so here's the thing. So this book, how did, how the Jews invented Hollywood provides a set of lessons that, the, that J Jaman and others who are confused about racism need to understand. They, they're confused. They're like, wait a minute, I, I'm just as talented as the white guy, but yet the white guy got more money. Well, wait, I, I'm, I was just as, I, I, I worked just as hard as the gay guy, but the gay guy got all the good roles. You know, I, wait, I, I worked just as hard as the Jewish kid and the Jewish kid became the executive at the studio. I work just as hard as the as the as the, the, the as, as that other person over here, and 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 he got all these opportunities, and I didn't. All I got to do was play a slave or a comedian. Well, that's because Hollywood was not built for you. See, people who get confused about institutions and how they treat black people have not spent much time, typically, understanding the origins of those institutions. I get it. I totally get it. You know, I spent I spent years on the faculty, you know, before I started, you know, doing stuff like teaching black people around the world and all this stuff, which I really love, I spent years on the faculty at Syracuse University. And when I was at Syracuse, I went through something similar to what Jamon went through. I, I was working twice as hard to get half as much. I was, uh, I was busting my butt and, and not getting the raises and promotions I deserve. I was the only faculty member on the, in, in, on the entire campus, except for one, there was one white guy, that was it. I was the only one who was getting national uh, media attention and going out and really having an impact on the world. I was on national TV every single week and they completely ignored everything I was doing. They completely blew it off. They acted like it was almost like a bad thing that I was 
uh, helping black people learn about wealth and economics. Uh, I, you know, to some extent, you might argue that I was mistreated. I'm not complaining here. I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, I was mistreated because I'm not a victim. I don't walk around with a victim uh, T-shirt on, you know, like, oh, look at me. Woe is me. I, don't, I just don't do that. That doesn't not benefit you. Um, but when I looked at that institution, I had a deep reflection. I started thinking, well, wait a minute. You know, who built this school? Right. And I looked at the history of Syracuse. I said, oh, this school was built by a bunch of white guys. Well, who did they build this school for? Oh, they, they did they build it for black people? Did they, is there anything in their original charter that says, oh, yeah, this we want to see African-Americans flourish here. We want to see black people do extremely well. We want to make sure that people of color and, and, and women and, and, and everything else that they're doing. What, yeah. No, no, no. They built the institution for themselves. And the thing about it is when I really uh, around 2006, you know, I started hanging out with people like like this guy. And, I, and, and that was when I started realizing, like, I can't even be mad at them for building something for themselves because I'm sitting here looking at my own people saying, why ain't we trying to build something for ourselves? Why aren't we trying to build something that's ours? You know, and, and, uh, and so, so when I saw Jamon and he was, he was upset about the money, you know, he was kind of like, you know, white people get more money and they get more opportunities and I work really hard and I'm really talented. I agree with him. He's great, man. This guy's a great actor. But I'm sitting here thinking, wait a minute, brother, I love you. But, you know, you've been working in this game for 33 years and you still don't own a studio yet. Do, do you? Maybe he does. Maybe I missed it. Maybe maybe if he does, forgive me for for uh, for leaving that out of the discussion. I, I just did not know. But my thought is, after 33 years in the game, I'm kind of surprised you would still be even in the category of a laborer. Like a laborer. I mean, even if you're a high paid laborer, you're still a worker. Right. Like, you know, looking for jobs, looking, you know, I, I, I need to find a role. I need to find me a gig. I need to go make me a dollar. I, I just don't. I mean, I'm not I'm not making fun of it at all. I promise you. I'm not I'm, I'm only a one degree of separation from this brother. I, when I worked with Russell Simmons uh, in 2013 and Russell and I did a mass incarceration campaign where we got all these celebrities to sign a letter to President Obama. Uh, you know, to get him to change his incarceration policies, which it actually worked, by the way. Shout out to Russell. I know y'all can talk bad about Russell all day. Anybody can. But I'm going to just tell you like this. Uh, you know, when I, when I worked with him, he operated with, with, with extreme integrity. He followed through on every commitment. Uh, he went out and got all the celebrities to sign this letter because we both have a heart for the brothers and sisters in prison. And, I, and I, I'll always love him for that. Uh, but I remember Russell mentioning Jamon because, you know, Jamon married Russell's ex-wife and they just seemed to have a really great like three person like in interaction. Like they would just do stuff together. And I'd, I'd never seen that before. I'd never seen like a couple where there's a divorce and you're hanging out with your ex-wife and your and her new husband. But that's the, but that's how Russell was built. You know, Russell, I learned a lot from Russell Simmons by watching how he resolves conflicts. Think about this. Russell Simmons is the only person who in all of hip hop who. um it's very hard to find anybody who has anything negative to say about him. Almost every single person who talks about Russell, and he's been in this game since Curtis Blow. I mean, I mean, remember Curtis Blow, and I want you to know that these are the breaks, right? He literally goes back to Curtis Blow. And so you would think somebody who goes all the way back to Curtis Blow would have like a long list of major enemies. Russell, I had never seen Russell's enemies. I'm sure they're out there. I'm sure there's somebody out there that's mad at him or whatever. And I know that, you know, you had this stuff that went on with the women and, you know, accusations and all that, which was against even some of that stuff. I, I just look for proof. I need proof. I don't, you know, believe stuff just because somebody said it. But uh, anyway, you know, I, I just I just really learned a lot about 
relationship management in business. So Russell actually was one of the first people I observed that led me to have more conversations with you guys when I talk about economics and how relationships fit into that. The second great influence in that area was my wife, who is a relationship therapist. And she, you know, I just sort of the things I learned from listening to her, the things that she studies on a regular basis. I said, you know what, if we can have better relationships as black people, we can build things together. You know, we can create institutions together. We can build strong families. You know, we can build what we were supposed to build. You know, like some of y'all are supposed to be in a nice, strong, stable family, not this dysfunctional nonsense. I, I went to see Creed yesterday. I did a review of Creed, by the way, um, on uh, on my um on, on this channel, actually, I, I went to see Creed and I just, you know, you're just watching Creed and you, you got these two black men who grew up in an orphanage for whatever reason, because their parents were not around and they're like boxing each other, trying to kick each other's ass and having all these conflicts. And I was like, man, it's just not supposed to be that way. You know, it's just not. And I think that as black people, we just think that's what it's supposed to be. We're supposed to be trying to kill each other and kick each other's ass and everything else. And no, you're supposed to love each other. You're supposed to help each other. You're supposed to have each other's back. So, so, so one shout out I'll give to Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Majors, the two stars of this film, is that they allow the villain, so-called villain and the so-called hero to actually reconcile at the end. You know, at the end... He just apologized. He was like, man, I'm sorry for what I did to you. And he was and he was kind of like, I'm sorry, too. Like, I love that, man. I, you know, so so, you know, again, you know, I, I so Creed, if you haven't seen the movie yet, I highly suggest you check it out because, uh, you know, it, this movie was a great um, display of, of, of masculinity and black love at the same time in terms of brothers kind of supporting each other as opposed to tearing each other down. And that takes me back to Jaman Hansu. Now, before I do that, do me a favor. Could you please hit the thumbs up button? Thumbs up, share, subscribe. Uh, we are building Black-owned media, and we really need your help. Um, if you could um, just you know share this video, hit the like button, uh, hit the share button. Make sure you hit the notification bell. Uh, so we, because <laughs> I, sometimes I think we're shadow banned. And uh, also, um, I'm going to be in Houston. And I'm trying to see if my wife is coming with me, but we're going to be in Houston uh, April 21st. Are you going to Houston, babe? Okay. Well, I think I think my wife will be in Houston with me, but either way, I'm going to be there. And um, we're doing the um, we, we, the Black Wealth Boot Camp tour, and I'm I'm going to Houston to do a two day Black Wealth Boot Camp. And uh, my new book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, and literally that is the training manual for Black Wealth that I'm going doing deep dives on all throughout the country. So feel free. If you'd like to go to boycewalkins.com, you can uh, join us in Houston. And if you, some of you want to talk to me in person, things like that, uh, the great way to do that is at a live event. So feel free to join us in Houston. All right. So let, let's get back to this whole issue with Jaman Hansu. Okay. So we're talking about Jaman and Jaman was kind of saying that it's hard for him to make a dollar in Hollywood, which was a headline, you know, a headline gainer. And, and I, I saw something else that Jaman stated. Uh, where he talked about this was another interview he did years ago where he was basically saying that his son told him that he wanted to be light skinned so he can climb walls like Spider-Man. So he literally Jamon says that, that his son told him, you know, I wish I was light skinned uh, so I could, you know, do Spider-Man movies. Right. And he said that that really messed with him, that really messed with his head. And um, and again, I think that that is uh, an interesting narrative I want you guys to kind of think about. When you hear black people say things like, I wish someone would let me do blah, 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 blah. You got to be real careful about statements like that because those are white supremacist remarks. 
Let me give an example. I knew a lady who was very creative, very talented uh, when it came to advertising and art and graphic design and all that. And she said, she said, Dr. B, if I could get somebody to just let me do advertising, I would kill the game. I would be so good at it. They would just give me an opportunity to do advertising. And I said, who's stopping you from doing advertising? She said, well, you know, I can't get a job in my field, blah, blah, blah. I said, I said, but who's stopping you? Is there a, is there a white man standing in front of between you and your laptop every time you sit down and try to do a design? And she laughed and she said, no. I said, is the KKK threatening to burn down your house if they find out that you're, you're that they catch you drawing or art or making an ad for a product that you created? She said, no. I said, yeah. So the question I ask you again is, if you're good at advertising, who's stopping you from advertising? Who needs to give you permission to advertise? And in fact, uh, you know, in fact, I saw this funny meme where uh, shout out to TD Hip Hop Media, by the way, everybody should follow TD Hip Hop Media. They did, they did such a good job talking about the NAACP and how the NAACP literally gets money. Unfortunately, they get money to keep black people disabled. You know, you know, the NAACP in San Francisco embarrassed themselves by rejecting the uh, the five million dollar cash payments for reparations. Anybody see that? Did anybody see that? Well, the NAACP, those weird, weird Negroes that run the organization, they literally were like, no, no, don't give black people five million dollars a piece. Give the money to us so we can have more government programs. We need more government programs. Like, like you better shut up for somebody kicked you in your head, man. They, they, but anyway, uh, I saw I saw somebody that had um an analogy or an ac an acronym for NAACP, and it stand for it stood for um Negroes at always asking Caucasian permission. I saw. I thought that was so funny. Negroes always asking Caucasian permission. So, so basically, here's my point. Um, why do you feel like you have to ask permission before you can pursue your destiny? There, there's nobody that you have to get, uh, you know, get approval from in order for you to do what you're supposed to do. Uh, so when you know when his son says, "I hope I'm light skinned so I get a chance to play Spider Man," he at the very least that sentence should be continued with. I hope I'm light-skinned so I can get to play Spider-Man because that's what white people need me to do in order to be in their movies, right? Like, that's how I would say it. I would say, son, okay, yeah, you do have to be light-skinned to play Spider-Man because Spider-Man is a white-owned character that's going to be in a white movie. And, you know, and if you want to do that, you have to do that. But there are black characters you can either create or that are already developed that we can promote just as well that are just as interesting as Spider-Man that you could also play. There, there are dark-skinned superheroes out here just like there are light-skinned superheroes. There are black superheroes just like there are white superheroes. So, so ultimately what it requires is an understanding of the origins of those institutions. When you look at the origin of Spider-Man, uh, in fact, you can literally look it up. I encourage you to really do this so you, you'll stop being in awe of white people. A lot of us spend our time being in awe of white people. Like we really, we really love white people. Like we really feel like the white man is like superior. And it's no disrespect, by the way. If you're white, I'm not being mean. I'm not trying to say anything negative or nasty. I'm just being truthful. You know that we tend to, you tend to admire and worship them, right? Uh, because they they have these amazing things they create, and you feel like you can't do it yourself. So you say, "Gosh, I hope that one day they select me." To be the black person that they bring along on their amazing ride, but let's let's look at this right. Um, hit the thumbs up button while I look at while I Google this. I'm, Google Google will save your life. Um, so Spider Man, did you know Spider Man was uh, created in 1962? 
Uh, it was created, let's see, by Stan Lee. Stan Lee created a lot of those characters, actually. Shout out to Stan Lee. He's, I, like a lot of, I like a lot of those Marvel movies and everything. Stan Lee's great. Um, but yeah, Spider-Man literally was uh, the manifestation of the imagination of Stan Lee and some other creators uh, whose names are not in front of me. Oh, Steve Ditko, another guy named Steve Ditko. So they literally said they sat around and they were smoking a joint or something or drinking a beer. And they all said, let's create a new character. And they were like, what kind of character? I don't know. Let's make it a spider and let's make it like a mutant. And, and let's you know make it so that he gets bit by a spider and then suddenly he can climb walls and he can fight villains by throwing webs at them. Okay, that sounds really cool, man. And then next thing you know, they drew it, put it together, created it, and it became real. Uh, Walt Disney. When Walt Disney um, created the original Mickey Mouse, how many of y'all know? Give me a yes or no uh, if you know the origin story of Mickey Mouse. How many of you... Um, how many of you know the origin, like literally, like where Mickey began, like how Mickey like came to, to, to exist, where he came from? Like, because Mickey didn't come from God. He, he wasn't just sort of manifest by a lightning bolt or something. You know, Walt Disney came up with the original Mickey Mouse. Now, I want you to kind of uh, go with me for a minute. I'm going to I'm going to ask you to use your imagination real quick. Um because the original Mickey Mouse uh, was created in the early part of the 20th century by Walt Disney, of course. And do you know that when when Walt Disney, when Mickey Mouse sort of was manifest by by Walt Disney, it was the same week that he had actually lost his job. Like literally, like he was just unemployed, just like some of you have been unemployed. A lot of you, a lot of us have been unemployed at some point. So literally, Walt Disney had. Um, in fact, he thought he was going to get a promotion on his job. Uh, back then, they didn't have airplanes. So so when he went from California to New York, they called him to the New York office. So he couldn't fly to New York. He had to take a train. And he took a train for, you know, it took like, I don't know, a couple of weeks or something, right? Because it was a long time ago. So Walt Disney takes this train to go to New York because he's thinking he's going to get a raise and a promotion, right? He thinks his boss is going to hook him up. Well, instead of hooking him up, his boss fires him. And in addition to firing him, he takes all of his intellectual property. Every cartoon he'd ever created belonged to his boss. So Walt Disney is depressed. He's like feeling miserable. He's feeling terrible. And he's on this sad, depressing train ride back to New York or back to California. And he's with his mother. And so he's sitting there all sad. And he says to his mom, he says, you know, I think I'm going to create a new character. And she said, well, what are you going to call it? He said, I'm going to call him Mortimer Mouse. And his mother said, no, Mortimer Mouse is not a good name. Just call him Mickey. That's where Mickey Mouse came from. That's literally where Mickey Mouse came from. And so Walt Disney, um, now pay attention now. I need y'all to listen because some of y'all got kids and people in your family that come up with billion dollar ideas all the time and you abort those possibilities before they ever become real. You just say, oh, shut up, fool. Go back to work. Ain't nobody paying attention to your stupid little mouse. Ain't nobody paying attention to your stupid, your dumb idea, your, your, little, your little business. Ain't nobody worried about your little business. Imagine if, if, if he'd been surrounded by people like that. Imagine if his mother had said, son, you really think you can actually create a character on your own? Like, son, you really think that's going to take off? Why don't you go do something safe? Like this, you know, this whole idea of creating a mouse and, and getting people to like want to like watch your mouse and and, and and buy cartoons from you. and Like, don't don't do that, son. Just just go find you another job. Get that stupid idea out of your head. Like, imagine if his mother had been a hater. Some of y'all's mothers are haters. Some of you have spouses that are haters. Some of you have friends that can't that, that can't see past next Tuesday, right? 
So, so this is the kind of thing actually I talk a lot about in my book. It, my new book is called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. I talk about all the billion dollar ideas, the Mickey Mouse level ideas that get killed in the black community every single day. Every single day, there's probably $50 million worth of brilliant business ideas and business models that get shot down because either you're not getting the moral support, you're not getting the financial support, your friends are clowning you, you don't have the skill set to execute on the idea, right? Like, like it happens all the time. This is wealth going out the window. So uh, literally, uh, that character, Mickey Mouse, came from Walt Disney and his mother manifesting this idea. And it was a crappy idea in the beginning. I mean, you saw the original images of Mickey. They're ugly. They're, they're ugly. Like, they're not even, it's not even, I mean, there's no way anybody could have looked at the original Mickey Mouse images and said, oh, yeah, this is going to be a billion-dollar brand for sure. One day, yeah, this will be this will be the, the, the subject of a, of, this will be the primary character of some corporation that's going to make $100 billion a year. Like, look at this. This is ugly. This, this, there's nothing special about this image. Just like for some of you, there's nothing special right now about your business, the where it is at the moment. But the thing about it is that you have to pick something and stick with it and grow that thing. He stuck with it. That's it. He stuck with it. And then Mickey got a little bit better, right? In fact, let's let's look at an image of a modern Mickey Mouse versus the original. How about that? Let's do that. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button because I, I really want to make this point because I need y'all to really start. We need to start having some imagination as black people, man. Stop getting on the white man's testicles and, and start paying attention to what you can actually manifest and create on your own. You are the most creative people on the planet. You are the most original people on the planet. People copy your creations and then they go make a billion dollars from them. Then you get mad. Well, did you invest in that? Look at look at this. Look at th this is the original Mickey Mouse, and this is what it became later on. He started adding in Minnie Mouse, and which is another billion dollar brand. Then you have spinoff brands. You have Donald Duck, Daffy Duck. They even have Daisy Duck, right? They they literally are like, okay, how do we take this thing, this big money idea called you know, a stupid little mouse, and flip that into something much bigger? You understand? So, so what I'm just saying in general is like, don't kill your manifestations. Like, you can manifest just as well as the white man can. You know, you you are just as creative, just as as talented, just as smart. And I really hate the idea that you spend your time saying, "Gosh, dang it, I I'm so talented, I'm so good at what I do. I wish they would just give me an opportunity." Well, you know what? If you're that talented. If you're that good, if you're so talented that they should see your talent, then I say you're talented enough that you should see your talent. Because if you can't see your talent, then why would you expect them to be able to see your talent? Because if you saw your talent, you wouldn't be selling yourself cheap. Do you understand what I'm saying? You sell yourself cheap because you don't see what you're worth. They see your worth more than you do. And you're like, gosh, I wish you could see my worth so you would pay me more, boss. Well, if you really saw your worth... Why would you give away something so valuable? You know, I, I, in fact, I, I that's and that was my experience. I mean, I, I personally, I mean, shoot, when I was on the faculty at Syracuse University, 
I was the only black man on the planet that got a PhD in finance during the year 2002. You couldn't tell me nothing. I, my, my confidence was on 12. I felt like I was the Michael Jordan of finance, right? I was damn good at what I did. I was an extreme workaholic because I, and I loved it. I did it. I was a workaholic because I loved it. And I was on top. I was smarter than my professors when I was getting my PhD. I was good. So I remember having that same feeling like, dang, I'm so talented. Why don't y'all recognize my talent? I'm so good. Why don't y'all yo, acknowledge how good I am? And then I was like, wait a minute, boys. If you're really that good, then you don't really need them to acknowledge it. If you're really that great at what you do, then take your talents to the market, to the open market. Let the world evaluate how good you are. And I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This I'm, I'm about to be a little cocky right now. I'm good at what I do. I'm good at what I do. There are a lot of people out here that are talking about financial this and financial that, but I bet you, you can search high and low all throughout the internet. You can't find a person with the credentials that I have who's written original research papers in finance who can talk about black wealth and black economics the way I can. Not saying nobody else can do it. Now, I'm not saying nobody else can do it. I'm just saying that I'm damn good at what I do. Dr. Claude Anderson is Michael Jordan. I would say that I might be a Kobe Bryant. I might be a Kobe Bryant. Okay, so so what I'm saying to you is at the end of the day, if you're really that damn good at what you do and they won't acknowledge what you're doing, there is a place you can go that will love you for who you are. There are places you can go where you don't have to wait for them to give you permission to manifest your visions. There are places you can go where the vision can belong to you as opposed to you uh, simply pouring into somebody else's vision. You know, all these corporations, all these major corporations that we go work for, you know, like these these big uh, st film studios that Jaman is trying to get opportunities with, all those studios, all those films, all those characters are nothing more than manifest manifestations of somebody else's vision. In fact, I'm going to pull something out. Y'all got me going right now. Y'all I'm feeling the Holy Ghost right now. I'm going to read something to y'all. Do me a favor. Hit the thumbs up button. Thumbs up, thumbs up, share, subscribe. And by the way, uh, some of you are asking the title of my book. It's called The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power. I encourage you to get your children to memorize the Ten Commandments. It will change their life for the next 50 years. I guarantee it. It's a number one bestseller on Amazon in the public finance category. And, uh, and it's, a, it's, it's a powerful book. And it's very easy to read. I, I made it that way. So feel free to go take a look. You can go to boycewalkins.com or you can go to Amazon and take a look. Also, uh, on my website, I have a, a lecture I did called How to Make Money Without Working. You're welcome to take a look at that, too. Uh, so let me see if I can find this book. I, you know, I read How the Jews Invented Hollywood all the time, not it, it, because I just have so much admiration and respect for the fact that they were able to manifest their vision uh, in the way that they did. I, I really do. I really just think it was extraordinary. Uh, you might call me a, a buffoon for saying this. I have no idea, but I just read it and I get inspired as hell. Uh, so let me tell you this. Here's um. Here's a, it's a part of this book. I'm going to read a little bit of this to you. It says, the Hollywood Jews, at least the first generation that built the industry and formed the core of this book, were a remarkably homogeneous group with remarkably similar childhood experiences. The eldest, Carl Lamel, was born in 1867 in Lapheim, a small village in southwestern Germany. His beloved mother died shortly after his 13th birthday. And he prevailed upon his father, a penurious land speculator, to let him come to America to seek his fortune. He would eventually found Universal Pictures. So this guy, 
whose mama died when he was 13. He had a sob story. He could have hung on to that sob story his whole life. My mama died when I was 13. That's why I've been smoking crack ever since. Right? You ever see people like, it might know people like that. Like, the, because, because of something that happened to them when they were a kid, they literally feel like that's an excuse for them to be trifling at the age of 50. It's like, bro, you, you're like, you were born 50 years ago. Get some therapy. Work through your nonsense. Like, you can't let your children pay a price because you haven't gotten over whatever you went through as a kid. So this guy, his his mama died at 13, and uh, and he became a land speculator or something, and he ends up founding Universal Pictures. Let's keep going. You know, again, Jamon, I need you to hear this, man. These are the people that you admire, the people that you look up to, the people whose institutions you're begging to be a part of. Adolf Zucker was born in a small Hungarian village in the Tokay Grape District. His father died while he was while he was in his infancy. So his father died while he was an infant. Pay attention now. See, you know, the, you know, we, we talk about our sob stories and the, the growing up in the trap and growing up in the hood. This guy Adolf, his father died while he was a baby. His mother died a few years later. So this kid grew up without a mother and without a father, without a mother and a father. So his mother died a few years later. Adolf was bundled off to an uncle nearby, a steely, bloodless, rabbinical scholar. Lonely, independent, and unloved, Zuckor, like Lamel, petitioned to leave for America and a new life. So his life was so bad that he left to go to America to start this new life. Guess what? Adolf Zucker would later build Paramount Pictures. Paramount Pictures. Anybody got a subscription to Paramount Plus? Anybody know about Paramount Plus? This is open. Now, by the way, this is over a hundred years ago now. <laughs> anybody, anybody know about Paramount Plus? Where they got shows like Yellowstone? Anybody know uh, how much money Paramount Pictures makes? You know, Paramount Pictures uh, last year made eight billion dollars. Yeah, this is what he created. So, so I'm sorry. I, I don't get me wrong. Black people, we go through a lot. You know, we 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 grow up in unfair circumstances. You go through things that shouldn't have happened to you. But that's no excuse for you not to get up off your ass and figure out how to fix it, how to make it work. Get you some therapy. Get you some self help. Find find some find some way to find motivation out of the pain you went through. You went through the pain. You should get the gain. They say no pain, no gain. Well, how are you gonna have pain but you didn't get the gain? Every time you go through a tough situation, I just figured out a long time ago, that ain't nothing but God's training camp. They're training you to go to another level, and some of y'all just throw all that away. You're like, oh, well, because I went through the pain, now I'm going to endure more pain and create more pain for myself as I sit and reflect on the pain I went through. You don't do that. You you, you take the benefit of the pain you went through. Let me read one more to you. This this stuff, I mean, this inspired the shit out of me. I'm sorry. I'm, I I love it. I this this book this book is called How the Jews Invented Hollywood: An Empire of Their Own. Um, William Fox was another Hungarian. In his case, his parents were immigrants, but his father was shiftless and irresponsible. Anybody else got a shiftless, irresponsible daddy? I I I had one. My daddy was never around. I never knew the man. I don't even know the man well enough to dislike him. That's how he's it's almost comical, right? I'm not even mad at my daddy. It's not like I sit around like dang my daddy didn't. I didn't even know this dude, right? But my daddy was not, he was shiftless and irresponsible. Oh, I had a shiftless, irresponsible daddy too. They said that when when William's father died, 
he disliked him so much, he spit on his coffin during his funeral. This kid hated his father so much that when he died, he spit on his coffin. That That's, that's heavy. He was forced to become an entrepreneur, hawking soda pop, sandwiches, and chimney black. He would later parlay these experiences into creating the Fox Film Corporation. Anybody ever heard of uh, 21st Century Fox? Or Fox Studios? Fox News? I don't even know what to call them. Because I, I, they, they do so many things. They, literally. I, I, how much how much annual revenue did this company make last year? I mean, they're, they're, they're as relevant now as they were uh, 50, 100 years ago. It's, it's really fascinating. And uh, so let's see. This company... Their revenue for the 12 months uh, ending this year was $14 billion. And, and just remember, you know, these are the companies that your favorite black celebrities look up to. These are the companies that your favorite black celebrities are begging to give them opportunities. And uh, and so when I go back to Jaman Hansu, this talented actor who's saying he's had, he has trouble making a dollar in Hollywood, my thought is, well, of course you're going to have trouble making a dollar in Hollywood because the people who own everything are the ones who are making the big dollars. You're just the hired help. They're just extracting your talent because they can see value in you that maybe you can't see in yourself. Because I believe that if you see maximum value in your talent, you will create your own business. You're not going to simply say, well, I created a billion dollars worth of talent. I'm going to sell it for $800,000. You don't do that. You know, and, and there are people that are doing that. You know, I think just, for example, when I went to see Creed last night, I think Michael B. Jordan was the director. I wouldn't be surprised if he had some ownership. I don't know Michael B. Jordan. I don't know anything about this guy from a personal level. I have never met him. I probably know people that know him. Uh, in fact, I know that I know people that know him because I know people like the Charlemagnes or whatever and the Kanye's or whatever. But, but you know, I like Michael B. Jordan because I get this sense that young black men in Hollywood understand the importance of ownership. And I think that they're going to create something in the next generation that we can all be very proud of. And so in the Creed movie, the way they kind of push Sylvester Stallone kind of out of the picture, like, like you're old, you're the, you're the old white guy. And we're going to, you know, this is going to be about two brothers and we're going to make it into a blockbuster. I just thought it was absolutely um, amazing. And, 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 you know, and I really hope that, that we can continue down that pathway toward ownership. Let me see Creed three, how much money, has Creed three made? I mean, it's it's doing really well at the box office. Let me see. I'm looking uh, for box office numbers. Uh, okay, let's see. I think the total box office for Creed three is almost a quarter. Is that a quarter? Yeah, a quarter of a billion dollars. Two hundred twenty four point three million dollars. That's extraordinary. I think that's absolutely extraordinary. And uh, I think it's the beginning of something big. And you have other guys like Jordan Peele. Uh, Jordan Peele is actually my favorite director in Hollywood. He, he, everything he does, I, I watch it because I have so much respect for him. Uh, and, uh, you know, he reminds me of like Eddie Murphy. I thought Eddie Murphy was so talented that whenever Eddie did a movie, I watched it because Eddie's very smart. Right. So so you have some you have some potential here. Right. You have some opportunities here. You have some people that are doing great things. And I know that with my daughter going into acting and singing and modeling and everything else, we talk extensively about ownership. You know, I'm going to have her read that book, How the Jews Invented Hollywood, because I want her to see it as a blueprint on what you can create if you have the right mindset. You know, shout out to the Jewish community because they built Hollywood as a place where they would be accepted. Uh, they were rejected in a lot of places around the world. And they said, we're tired of begging. We're, we, we got too much talent to be out here trying to kiss people's butts to get opportunities. 
we're going to build a space that's going to be ours. And it's going to be such an extraordinary space that people will beg us to get an opportunity to come into our space. So I, I would love, I would challenge all of you to tell your kids that, you know, if the world doesn't want you, if the world rejects you, then what you do is you create something that's so amazing, so extraordinary that all the people that rejected you are going to come in and try to be a part of what you got going on. You know, you keep hustling until your haters are asking, are you hiring? You got a job, right? That's, that's what success looks like. So anyway, that's my two cents, guys. Um, I don't have much else to say. I just, um, I wish your mind the very best. This is a fun conversation. Uh, by the way, I want to remind you, if you want to uh, get text notifications when I go live, text the word voice to 31996. The reason it's important to create the text list is because, uh, you know, channel, channels get shadow banned and you never know when they're going to take me off YouTube or something. So if you text the word voice to 31996, you'll always get notifications. Also, uh, if you want to take a look at all the books I have, um, Black American Money, uh, The Ten Commandments of Black Economic Power, etc., uh, just feel free to go to drboycebooks.com. Uh, that URL is on the screen, or you can also go to boycewalkins.com. So thank you all for listening. God bless you. Uh, I hope that this conversation was helpful to you. And uh, I'll check back in a little bit later where we can talk about these failing banks and everything else that's going on in the economic system. Uh, I'll, I'll see you soon. Take care now. Peace. Here we are, clan, the isms, cataclysm, great. Our people out here struggling, trying to make it in this state. Everybody out here doing it, but we the ones who late. Now, family, we the ones who got to delegate. Get that money in the power, never be fake. Stick the co-sign for three. What did he say? Uh, create jobs, support our own. Educate the same and buy back your home. Got three degrees, triple ten. Three PhDs, now we on the CNN. DBTV, let's talk about negligence. Ignorance is bliss, but we can turn it to intelligence. Believe none of what you hear, half of what you see. Let's break it down here on Dr. Boyce TV. Here we are.